0: Paramedic 43, District
1: 1, Engine 51, response, cardiac arrest. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Dr. Rob Dixon for another edition of the MCHG Paramedic Podcast, and today we're going to give you a stroke primer. Uh, so, we're going to go over some background in stroke and some interesting, exciting uh, new therapies in stroke and some challenges for EMS. Today, I've got our quality lead, Kevin Crocker, with us. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Dr. Dixon. And Andy Adams, our stroke specialist lead, who is also our technological guru on the board today. Hi, Andy. Hello, hello. All right. So, Kevin, to get started, can you give us a little bit of background on stroke, the different subtypes, and kind of the burden of this disease?
0: Sure. So, I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with uh, stroke from their you know, professional standpoint, but I'm sure a lot of people have also have been affected uh, on a personal level by, by stroke through a family member or a relative. Um, so when you think of stroke, um, traditionally you think about two different types of strokes, you have ischemic stroke and hemorrhagic stroke. And there's tr- traditionally about the 80, 20 so about 80% of strokes are ischemic in nature with 20% being uh, hemorrhagic. So if you look at here in the U S about 800,000 people per year, do suffer a stroke. And stroke is a leading disability when you look at uh, all patient populations that are affected by medical disease. Stroke is the, the number one debilitating disease. And that, that expands you know, to both physical for the patient, emotional for the patient, financial for the patient and for the family. So it's a, a very, very debilitating disease. And the estimated cost is about $33 billion per year.
1: Yeah, it's a massive burden to the country, isn't it? And, and you know, historically, Kevin, I mean, We've only had one treatment for the last 22 years. Now, TPA or tissue plasminogen activator, i.e. the clot buster drug uh, that we've used for the treatment for the last 22 years for stroke. Now, when it was first initially FDA approved, we had a kind of hard treatment line in the sand where we couldn't give this drug uh, if the onset to the therapy starting was greater than three hours. So we had to have them less than three hours. And that line has kind of shifted over the last couple of decades to a treatment time of 4.5 hours. So really up until about two and a half years ago, our treatment line in the sand was four and a half hours. I know here at MCHD, we had that in our clinical guidelines. We put time in there. Um, and then this new paradigm came up of large vessel occlusion or LVO stroke. Kevin, can I go back to you and you talk a little bit to the listeners about what are these LVO strokes, where are they, and, and tell us a little bit about them.
0: Sure. So large vessel occlusion stroke is a, a relatively new term when you think about the history of medicine, uh, and it's defined as a, a clot uh, burden within the large vessels uh, of the brain. So that includes the uh, ICA, the internal carotid artery, uh, the terminus of the ICA, and the M1 segment of the MCA. When you look at all ischemic strokes, because they're all ischemic strokes, about 25% of these strokes are a large vessel occlusion. Uh, and when you think about those large vessels having an, a clot within them, these patients are going to be severely uh, debilitated. And that's a, acutely onset, and also their, their chronic outcomes are worse as well.
1: Yeah, and so for, for many years, I mean, we have one therapy to offer them, which, you know, it makes sense to us, may not do so well with a very, very large clot burden. Right, does better with smaller clots of TPA, but not necessarily the larger ones. And we have struggled in medicine over a number of years to with intraarterial uh, administration of TPA and other first and second generation uh, removal or endovascular therapy to pull these clots out. Right, so we could do it in STEMI, and for years and years we tried to get it right with stroke. And I think in the last uh, really 24 months. Uh, The data really started maturing in in, uh, early 2015 until the present it's still rapidly changing Um, We have have really perfected uh, the techniques not only the techniques, but the devices so in 2014 and 15 five landmark trials came out. Mr. Clean extend 1a swift prime escape and reviscat and essentially these were trials using a third generation embolectomy device to where they would pull these clots out so not only were we better with our techniques and devices but also our systems of care to pick the right patient for this therapy and then get them to that therapy in a reasonable amount of time and through all these trials if you look at all the data combined and in each all the five combined trials is about 600 a little bit over 600 patients in each group the number needed to treat to have an improved neurologic outcome was 2.6 patients so but every for every 2.5 patients we have we're going to have one with less disability and more functional independence that's and, that's pretty fascinating
0: so when you read literature on tpa number needed to treat what's the traditional number that's thrown out for the number needed to treat for tpa
1: yeah it's kind of uh, you know i I love that question because it'll get me in trouble with emergency physicians who think differently from my neurologist colleagues. But I will tell you the variation, in the number is anywhere between three and seven patients needed number need to treat. But I would say that when you get to the three and four need to treat with TPA, those are ones that are treated very, very early into their course. If you have all comers, that number, you know, can be about seven to eight patients or more that you need to treat. And we had more hemorrhagic complications with TPA. So the thrombectomy
0: number needed treats lower than the TPA. Now, I realize not everybody qualifies for thrombectomy, but uh, when you actually look at those numbers, it it is less for the thrombectomy group.
1: It is, you know, kind of interesting though, and to kick it back and to kind of put, you know, it's very early on in this process of all these trials, but about 80%, over 80% in both the control groups and the intervention, the thrombectomy groups got TPA. So the the bottom line is we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? TPA has been a useful therapy for the last 22 years, and many, many patients that did well in the thrombectomy group, Kevin, also got TPA. So the, the answer is can they, can they do as well without it? We don't know right now. So those studies are, are four,
0: you know three or four years old at this point, which in the stroke world with current literature publication, that's an ancient study. So right, it's like three or four days. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, so there's some newer studies that have come out talking about um, extended treatment times for these right. large vessel occlusion patients. Do you want to spend some time talking about the dawn trial and diffuse three?
1: So I got voted to uh, to try to get through this longest. This is the longest trial title for a paper that ends up with four letters. So. Here I'll have a go at it. So it's diffusion-weighted imaging or C2 perfusion assessment with clinical mismatch in the triage of wake up or late presenting strokes undergoing neurointervention with trevo. I, I see how they
2: got dawn do, out of that. Do you see yeah, how they get I mean there is, is, that, is a is D, that, a, a, W, and an N in there. Is that is that clear to everybody?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really cool trial. So what they did, and 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 as a clinician, I think we all um really see the importance of this, right? is that these were patients that before, if you woke up with a stroke, you you were not a TPA candidate, right? You were not an endovascular candidate. You were just kind of out of luck. And so what they did, these trials, is they looked at uh, perfusion symptom mismatch or clinical perfusion mismatch. So in all these patients, they did perfusion studies. And if you had a very small perfusion defect, i.e., very small section of dead brain in your perfusion imaging, but you had really severe clinical symptoms or a high stroke scale that got you into the trial. Okay. So you had to have that. So it's a very select subset of patients that got you into the trial. That was your ticket to entry. Once you got in, then you were randomized to either usual therapy, which is essentially supportive therapy or the intervention. So the neurointervention or the endovascular therapy. And, you know, very surprisingly, you know, you said this changes rapidly. I would say you three to four days not even three to four months yeah. you know the number needed to treat in the dawn trial 2.7 so very similar robust number for an improved neurologic outcome
0: yeah and how far out are these patients so what's the time window
1: so the the extended time window is up to 24 hours now yeah, so, so it's really a game changer for us as far as stroke alerting and how we how we look after these patients so
0: even with the extended window up to 24 hours the number needed to treat is still similar to the the original studies from three or four years ago
1: right 2.7. So we see that same theme in, in number needed to treat. And I think another kind of interesting thing is that in the initial trials, these are very robust systems of care. So a, the picture to puncture or the time from when they got their CT imaging to the time they were on the table getting their procedure in the vast majority of the initial studies, Andy, less than 60 minutes in most of them. And in this one, in fact, amazing. yeah, when you tease it out of the Dawn, it's in there, it's hidden in the paper, but it's 78 minutes. So it's very, very robust times to therapy. And, and then they followed it up, uh, with another state that was just published after Dawn, which was diffuse three where it, they used a little bit different uh, algorithm, triage algorithm, to get them into the study. Uh, but essentially, they used a perfusion ratio. So they looked at your perfusion imaging, and they looked at your core infarct versus the ischemic penumbra, which is the brain tissue that's at risk, but it's not, not frankly dead yet. And so if you had a favorable ratio of you know, a brain at risk that was still viable versus the core you got into the trial. And then you got randomized to either usual therapy or the intervention. These are patients six to 16 hours, so still a very extended window. And we see a very, very similar number needed to treat of three for an improved neurologic outcome. So just more icing on the cake that, that uh, our stroke time windows really should be thrown out the window. Yeah,
0: And one thing I found fascinating about both of those studies is that for, for any proper research, there's always a safety monitoring board uh, in the background, looking at the data as it's processed through, uh, and generally their, their purpose is to make sure there's no harm being done to the patients in the study. Um, in both of these trials, they stopped the study early, not because it was a negative outcome. It was because it was unethical to continue to put people in the usual therapy group because the, the outcomes were so, so vastly improved right. when they got the thrombectomies. Yes. Wow.
1: So, so, Andy, can we go back to you and talk a little bit about, you know, so we have all this new stroke data. It's changing very, very rapidly. What does this mean, just in briefly, what does it mean for EMS?
2: So, obviously, you know, as our paramedics become better at identifying strokes, we're having kind of a shift in our own paradigm, similar to STEMI in the 90s. Once we establish paramedics can diagnose a STEMI in the field, okay, let's start working on our times now. Let's get better, Right. So that's one of the things that we're having to do is instead of just saying, you know, going back to the STEMI thing, you're having chest pain. Now we can diagnose, yes, you are having heart attack. So in strokes... We have to kind of do the same thing, trying to give a a quantitative screen instead of just qualitative, yes or no, versus this is the kind of stroke you might be having. And so we're trying to tease out those elbows by getting a grading system established, finding one that works. Here at MCHD, we use the race score. There's several of them out there that have similar efficacy. You know, the, the lambs is another one. So once you've graded the stroke, so you've said this is a severe stroke
0: or... Uh, maybe a less severe stroke. Right. What do you do with that information as far as transports and what options exist on the table for, for destinations?
2: So that's one of the things that we have to help educate our crews too is now we have to tell them, the difference between a, you know, what, what are the, what are the different hospitals in your area capable of? So we have to educate them on, you know, the primary stroke centers, um, the comprehensive stroke centers, and there's some a news at designation out there as well. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to really help them concentrate on time, scene times. In the past, I know a lot of services have said, you know, well, let's get them to the hospital, but let's get them to the hospital faster, essentially. You know, like we mentioned earlier, time is memory. And uh, like in, in the STEMI uh, field, time is muscle. So in the stroke field, time is memory. So we want to try and get him to the hospital as fast as possible. Two million neurons per minute is what you lose.
1: Yeah, so almost like a golden hour mm-hmm. in stroke, right. similar to the golden hour that we we have learned for many, many years in trauma. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I think that probably holds true for all time since of emergency. So, and, and I think why it's so important, you know, Kevin, can you talk a little bit about comprehensive and primary and thrombectomy capable. There's all these different terms out there. Can you give us a brief, just overview of where, sh- where should we be taking these patients if we're worried, or they come, they pop positive on some uh, uh, elbow score, the race or the LAMS or the C-STAT would be some of the more popular ones.
0: Sure, so kind of how Andy alluded to earlier, there's a couple of different levels. So you have the, the primary, which is uh, what most people are familiar with, and those are TPA capable. So they can give TPA to those ischemic strokes. The next level most people are familiar with are the comprehensive stroke centers. They're kind of rare. There's not many of them in the country. Uh, We have quite the saturation here in the Houston area, but they're the ones that can handle all strokes. So they can do the TPA. They can do the thrombectomies. um, They have the rehab capabilities. They can manage the hemorrhagic strokes. uh, And then a newer designation is the thrombectomy capable centers, which doesn't have the the depth of the comprehensive stroke centers. They can provide uh, the thrombectomy thrombectomy therapy to the patients, but don't have quite the You know the the hemorrhagic management or the the rehab that goes along with the comprehensive strokes almost like
1: a a primary plus is what i've heard some people call it you think that's that's accurate i think it's very accurate it's a good
0: term for it Yeah. yeah yeah
1: okay to kind of tie it all together you know we've talked about the research and the data behind endovascular therapy for these large vessel occlusion strokes we talked about an extended time window where really just stroke alert, it used to be less than four and a half hours. And now it's really, there is no time limit. In fact, our service says anytime you call for an acute neurologic complaint and we've looked at you for a stroke deficit, we think you've had a stroke, we stroke alert that patient. We do not put a time, a arbitrary time on it. And I think one of the things that's important to, to note about these strokes is that, especially large vessel occlusion, as Kevin said, these are very disabling strokes. And so the vast majority of these patients, in fact, of all strokes, two-thirds will arrive by EMS, greater than two-thirds. So, and I would argue that in a disabling stroke, even more patients are going to be arriving by EMS. So we always banter this term around here, therapeutic momentum, right? We make the diagnosis. We do a score. We've diagnosed a STEMI stroke, and we get those teams united and get get them spooled up, right, by stroke alerting, by pre-notification. Notification. I think that that momentum carries on the hospital. I had a patient uh, ask me in a a community meeting the other day. Said, "Well, gosh, doctor, this stroke is so time dependent. If my wife has these symptoms." Shouldn't I just put her in the car and drive her to the hospital? My answer: to That is absolutely not. Uh, for a, for the reasons I just talked about, and b, when the medics get there, we're going to start it with the basics, right? And we're going to we're going to do our ABCs. We're going to rule out our stroke mimics. We're going to check a blood glucose, take a history about seizures and toxins, and uh, look for hypoperfusion. These other things that can very well mimic a stroke syndrome. And then we're going to pre-notify. We're going to stroke alert pre-notify, and we're going to get this very complex system of EMS, ED neurovascular specialists, radiology specialists ramped up and all talking, speaking the same language on the same page, which I think is very important.
0: I agree. I think getting those wheels turning early on the therapy side inside the hospital as far as activating those stroke teams is vital to these patients' outcomes.
2: Yeah, that's something I didn't comment on earlier. MCHD here, we stroke alert in the house. We will call on our radios to the hospital. So that gives them maximum time to get those teams together and get them to the hospital if they need to. Uh, And I mean, I think it works out really well. Yeah. All
1: right. So that's our primer for uh, stroke. for this afternoon's paramedic podcast. Look forward to a uh, special guest, Dr. Peter Antevi. He's gonna talk in more detail about their system in South Florida. Uh, Dr. Antevi is, I think, a thought leader that we are indeed, Kevin, a lot of this stuff. So rip off and duplicate Absolutely. a lot of his uh, his work on uh, stroke and LVO diagnosis. So we look forward to hosting Dr. Antevi. And uh, for Kevin and Andy and the rest of the MCHD team, we'll talk to you soon.
2: This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas, production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin MacLeod, and Competech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.